This is Off the Red Carpet with George Pinocchio, sponsored by Mercedes-Benz. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Off the Red Carpet. I'm George Pinocchio, and today we have a really special guest. This is a guy who has spent basically his entire life in show business. He started as a child actor, and now he is actually directing and writing and starring in his own film. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but let me introduce you right now to Seth Green. Yay! That's the applause. Oh, perfect. Thank you. You have been doing this now 30, how many years? Uh, Over 35, yeah. I can safely say this is my life. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. And the one thing I can say, the one constant about you, Seth, is from the moment I met you as probably a minor, you are the same guy you were then oh, thanks. just more seasoned but you're still kind and you're normal and i want people to know <laughs> at home that there's no showbiz chip on your shoulder uh, no i i love uh acting i love uh, movies and television and entertainment um and i've always just believed that you 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 get more uh with kindness than with um uh than with malice if someone right now who is listening goes to your IMDb page, the number of things you have done, the <laughs> volume of work is more than most actors who have been working the same amount of time. Uh, Why I, do you think you're constantly hired? Um, I don't know. I, I certainly enjoy working, um, and I put uh, a ton of effort into everything that I do, and especially in the early parts of my career before anybody knew my name. Um, I was just really fortunate with being able to play a variety of roles on a variety of shows. Um, And I don't really have any ego about the kinds of things that I do. I just love to tell interesting stories. I love to play uh, complicated or or, um, interesting characters, and I, I especially love to collaborate. Have you noticed as time has gone on in your career that people want the Seth Green take on something? Um, I don't know. I'm always uh, curious to discover what people think I am versus what I think I am. And because I've played such a variety of things and because I've I've enjoyed a popularity in in different categories, um, I'm always a little uh, surprised to to find how people have um, uh, focused on, on one thing or another. Well, we're going to be talking in a little bit about your new movie, Changeland, which you've written, you've directed, you star in with Brecken Meyer, who is also an executive producer. But we're going to start, Seth, I'm sorry to tell you, back in 1984. Okay. We're going to the Hotel New Hampshire. You're working with Rob Lowe and Jodie Foster. Not a bad debut, right? Not at all. No, it was an excellent introduction, as a, a matter of fact, because it was the first movie that I got to make. And because I was eight years old when I made it, <laughs> um, getting to work with people who were well into their own careers um, was incredible for me because I got to see how everyone handled themselves not just on set but with being recognized uh, as, as the major celebrities that they were. 1987 you're with Woody Allen for Radio Days you have another person who is considered one of the best at what he does and you're working with him and you're barely a double digit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, you know, that, that was uh, a similar experience where I auditioned for a part um, and then got to play it. That happens all the time. You, how often do you audition for a part and not get it? Oh, or do you even audition anymore? Yeah, yeah, I love auditioning actually. Um, and and I've always been kind of a strange type. I'm I'm rarely the person that people are like, oh, we need exactly that thing. And so m- more often, the types of parts that I want to play, I'm not the first choice or the first thought for. Uh, and so I've never had a problem uh, auditioning for things because I feel like that's just the process, right? As a director. Um, I've, I've had this experience of 
knowing what I want in my head or knowing what the story needs for its, its to, to work as a whole. And so I stopped taking it personally as an actor um, if I didn't get something, because sometimes you're just not right, no matter how talented you are. At some point, you're going back and forth from movies to television. You're still a little boy. So you make the facts of life, for instance. <laughs> sure. Does that any different for you than Radio Days or the Hotel New Hampshire? Um, no, it, it's all kind of a similar experience. It's more just the, the format, I guess, the, the difference between driving a car or driving a motorcycle. It's still driving, um, but you, you have different things that you have to consider. Uh, making a multi-camera show is just technically different than shooting a movie, both by the, the process of it and the, the, the way you play it. Um, but in each of those instances, I got to work with people who I was familiar with and who I admired, um, and I got the benefit of all of their experience in, in my own experience. So it sounds like when you were even 11, 12 years old, you were thinking about the art of acting in front of a camera yeah. and it didn't matter where but it wasn't just you having fun this you were serious about this as a child yeah very serious I, I I feel really lucky because at a very young age I was confident that performing was my path um, and that entertainment was gonna be my life's commitment um, and so every opportunity that I had was was exactly that. It was a chance to learn something else, uh, a chance to get better, a chance to make mistakes, hopefully in a safe environment and be able to learn from them. So did you have a favorite Facts of Life girl? And Charlotte Ray is an acceptable <laughs> answer. Uh, I was a huge fan of that whole show. Um, my favorite was probably Kim Fields, I guess. I, I always thought she was uh, extra special. Probably the first time that I, uh, you know, got introduced to that character. She was on roller skates and Tootie. had a snappy comeback for everything. And uh, then as she got older, she was even more beautiful. So I was probably most excited to meet her. When I was going down your resume, I noticed that you also were in a couple of episodes of Mr. Belvedere. That's true. And I am a good friend of Eileen Graff, who played the mom on Mr. Belvedere. Yeah. So I texted her to say... I'm doing a podcast with Seth Green tomorrow. Do you remember anything from his guest spots on Belvedere? <laughs> and she wrote back five words, just that he was good, oh, wow. exclamation point. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. She was, I love her. But I think that when you're on a set where you said you feel you're surrounded by people who are beneficial to you, yeah. your performance is better. You Absolutely. Did, you did the It miniseries, so that took you out of making us laugh to kind of scaring us. Uh, yes, but I played the comedic role That's in true. it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it was still a scary miniseries. I love that. I was a huge fan. I'm, I'm still a huge fan of Stephen King, and I, I was nuts for Tim Curry, and uh, getting to work with all of the, those adults was amazing. A couple of years after you did the It miniseries, you did something, you said something in 1992 that people are still saying 27 years later. Mm. Do you remember what you were saying? No. It's just kind of one word with a hyphen. I don't, I don't know. It was a commercial. Oh, you're talking about cha-ching? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I did, I've done uh, hundreds of commercials in my career, and uh, one of the ones I got to do was for a, a chain called Rallies, which mm -hmm. is uh, called Checkers in, in some uh, states. Um, and it was just one of dozens of commercials that I did in that same year. But this particular one, because of the catchphrase cha-ching, it, it, it became really popular. Um, that was an insane experience, what that grew into. I don't know if people know that was you. Like now, as we look back 27 years, if people remember that I'm, or I've if we're now telling a, them again. You I mean, I've, I've talked about it in a couple of situations. Dax Shepard was particularly fixated on it. When we made uh, Without a Paddle and he discovered that that was a thing that I had done, he became so fascinated. And because we both love 
pop culture and the way certain things stick to an audience or the, the way certain concepts or phrases get integrated into like pop conversation. And because that was such an isolated thing, you know, the people that knew me as the cha-ching guy were fundamentally unaware that I was uh, starring in movies and television at the same time. And so I got to almost play a role uh, while I was uh, doing that. All of the hype and uh, promotion that came along with that, it was insanely separate from me. Um, At one point, I went to New Orleans to lead a cheer at the Superdome during halftime in one of the major playoff games. And no one there had any idea that I was currently starring on an ABC <laughs> show with Terry Gar, and nobody knew that I had a, a slate of films under my belt at that point. And people said to me, hey, Ching guy, you, you think you're going to stick with this acting thing? And I was like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You'd already been acting almost a decade, I think. I had, right? And it was a weird, I, I, I don't know, I had the wherewithal to appreciate that that was a singular thing and that um even though i was treated like the beatles in new orleans that that had no direct association with me personally that no one had seen me and thought i was so talented that i should be uh, celebrated like that it was really uh, just a sensation around uh, the phrase cha-ching and people's own enthusiasm for their sports teams i've used it in stories that i've said on the air i think it still has been has, has, is it still relevant, I think? It's deeply entrenched in pop in a way that I don't think anyone would trace its origin, so I can't claim any real responsibility okay. for it. Um, Without a Paddle is one of the times we crossed paths. I did the interviews for that movie, and I remember talking to Dak Shepard for the first time and seeing him in the movie, and that was my first uh, introduction to Dak Shepard, and I think we all knew that he had a future in comedy. Absolutely. When I met, I met Dax at the Groundlings, and then uh, he was part of the team that punked me, and by the time we got to make Without a Paddle together, I was already well convinced that he is inarguably the real deal a brilliantly talented guy an incredibly evolved and kind human being um also a a skilled writer director and performer yeah and i i think just interviewing him for a few minutes he knows how to do it he knows how to make good tv yeah all right so you've done all these movies you've done all these tv shows and 1997 rolls around and you get cast in what would become the austin powers franchise yeah and I think Mike Myers had to be the person to say, he's the one. We, we need Seth, right? Uh, I don't know. That's another project that I auditioned for. As a matter of fact, I sent in a tape <laughs> of it. And the thing that Jay Roach has said uh, as to why I got that part uh, was that everyone seemed to play it uh, comedically or play it broad. And at the time, I was um, uh, making American Buffalo at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego. So I was really deeply into being an actor and finding the depth of something and an ex- extensive rehearsals and you know finding the 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 dramatic um uh, inciting incident for everything that happened and so i approached it um as a character piece you know as a kid who'd been raised without his parent and now had the parent uh, coming back and trying to start a relationship. And th- there's something fun in the dynamic between parents and kids. Where yeah. The kid always thinks that the parent's an idiot. Um, and if you've mm-hmm. got someone as outrageous as Dr. Evil or someone as simple as your own dad, the kid still regards the parent in the same way. And so for me, that was, that was my approach. And uh, that was what uh, Jay said uh, drew them to me. I thought Jay has always done a good job in his movies and in those movies in particular of making sure everybody has his or her moment. Yeah, I can't say enough about enough great things about him. I, I love Jay as a director, and I find him to be absolutely brilliant, not just as a filmmaker, but uh, on set to get to work with. Like, his 
um, his observation, how, how much thought he puts into it, and then his total comprehension of the scope of a project and how to answer questions individually and let everybody shine. And he loves what he does, yeah. and it always shows when you interview him how much he enjoys the process. Yeah, I think you gotta, because all of the, well, you know, man, all of this is part of the job, and so any aspect of it, you've, you've got to find a way to enjoy it. So Austin Powers is one franchise that gets you a lot of attention, but then there are certain things you do that will never go away. If your career ended tomorrow, you could still make a living signing pictures from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> right? Oh, sure, yeah. People, there's a there's a, a, a very dedicated fan base to that show, and I'm so grateful for that. Not just for the opportunity to have made that show and played that character, but because it's been so... Um, it's, it's like the fans take ownership of it um, and share it with one another and share it generationally. Okay, it's very so, rare. So you have done all this work, as I keep saying. I'm reiterating the fact that I'm surprised at some, how much you've done. And then adding to all of that, you started to do voices. Yeah. And you have really, some people, w that would be a career enough just in the <laughs> voice work you've done. Robot Chicken probably being one of the most um, renowned of those voices. Uh, yeah, or Family Guy. Right. And who got you into that initially? Was it you? Yeah, I always loved, uh, from a very young age, I found myself to be a mimic. Um, and I found that I had a, 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 a vocal range that supported a lot of versatility. And I grew up watching, you know, cartoons and being influenced by people like Mel Blanc and um, everything from The Muppet Show to, you know, cartoons. I was really inspired by that. And I, I started doing cartoons and uh, voiceover at a very young age and even got to do commercials with people like Dick Cavett or Jack Guilford. And so, uh, again, there was an opportunity for me to learn from experts and sharpen my own skills. Um, but, but each of those things are just organic for me. That's, that's, that's my passions. And so I pursued them. And those, you have three Emmys for Robot Chicken, right? Yeah. Yeah. Why do, you, why do you sound surprised? Well, because Robot Chicken was not intended to be um, a job. It was really just something fun that I was doing with friends of mine that as the popularity and uh, impact of the Adult Swim grew, um, our access to audiences grew. But we never... When you, when you make something like that, and, and you got to remember that when we started Robot Chicken, there had not been this... Um, reflective, nostalgic, uh, sort of I ironic self-assessment of any of pop culture in that way. And so we didn't imagine that an audience would be sharing what we thought was a, a kind of isolated point of view. And the first time that we went to Comic-Con or the first time that we started getting our, our viewership back on Adult Swim, it's over a million people watching the show. And then you go to San Diego and there's a, a room of 3,000 people who all say, oh, I remember that. I felt the same way. That, that was surprising, and it made us feel um, a little more validated in some of the passions or opinions that we'd had. And that is Adult Swim's number one rated show ever, right? Uh, I think so. so. I think well, Rick and Morty might have eclipsed us as the, no. the highest, uh, original programming, but that's also one of my favorite shows. So. <laughs> All right, before we move on to Changeland, I've got one more, uh, not issue, one more subject to tackle here. Sure. I want to know about your parents, oh, because yeah? when you're a child and you want to be in show business, this is a time guzzler for mom and dad. Yeah. So how did mom and dad know that this was the right path for their son, Seth? I don't know that they ever did, and it probably wasn't until uh, we were at the premiere of uh, Can't Hardly Wait that they even accepted that this was something I was going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I think up until that point, both of them would have preferred if I had some kind of more 
um, uh, dependable backup job. Uh, but 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 beyond that, they my parents were just unbelievably supportive of me and never discouraged me from dreaming. Um, never told me that. I couldn't do it. I just think that they were both more practical because of the way that they'd been raised or, or what they'd learned from pursuing a career. Um, my dad uh, taught for over 40 years, um, and my mom actually uh, became the one that, that took me on auditions consistently, which is a tremendous dedication. For, for over t- like 10 or 12 years, um, she took me almost every day to New York on the train, or she... Uh, took me uh, wherever it was that uh, I had a job, um, and then she patiently <laughs> allowed me to pursue this career. So wow. I'll always be grateful for that. Was she afraid? I don't know if there are uh, green siblings that, that might want to follow in your footsteps, and that was like, no, not another one. Well, my sister's two years older than than me, and um, we both pursued acting at the same time. And, and she had a lot of success in commercials and things like that um, and in, in other work. But by the time she was 14... She really didn't have an interest in pursuing it uh, any further than that. She wanted to live a more normal life. And perhaps pay for her college with all the work <laughs> she'd done when, by the time she was 14. Yeah. Uh, is there, not to embarrass you, but is there one thing that you wanted to give to your parents at some point when you started rolling you know, in, in some money by acting that you wanted to say, for all you've done for me, I want to give this to you. Uh, there wasn't any significant big ticket item, but along the ways, whenever I've had the opportunity to uh, provide them with things that they wouldn't have or, or help them with something special, I, I always take that, that, that chance. I think that's great. I think that's great. I love that you need a supportive parent if you're a child in this business because yeah. Yeah, you need to be looked after. And clearly, I think you were looked after really, really well. Well, in a lot of ways, one of the things that my parents did that was most beneficial to me was not restrain me or not deny my quest for independence. I moved out to Los Angeles when I was 16 years old without any parents. And What? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my parents were very supportive of me pursuing my own career independently. As scary as that may have been, they both trusted me and then trusted the the guardians and the support that we had established wow. around me. That's great. Yeah. I mean, and it all worked out. Yeah. And here we are in 2019 and you've got a movie going into theaters called Changeland. You've written it, you've directed it, you star in it with your good friend Brecken Meyer, who is also an executive producer. You've pulled in friends from your life that you said come and play and they said yes, Macaulay Culkin is one of them. Yeah. This looks like if you're going to make a movie You've been supported by people you trust and you like and you know all want something good for you. Yeah. Well, you know, making a movie is very complicated and there's tons of obstacles and challenges. And the best thing that a director can do is stack the deck in their favor, both with casting and with producers that are going to help execute it without ego or without obstacles um, because all kinds of things are going to happen that you can't anticipate. So just having a team that is uh, down for it and great at it uh, was the best I could ask for. The movie that I started watching was not the movie that I expected to see. Oh, interesting. Which I like because because I don't like to know too much before I start to sit down to see a movie. And it starts out where uh, Breckenmeyer is giving you some barbs and he's funny and it takes turns that are complicated, that are sad, that are serious, that are tender... Uh, you take us on this journey as if we were on a boat and every stop along this ride is a different feeling. And so I think that this movie is a lot more layered. 
has a lot more depth than I expected, only because I didn't know what to expect. Well, and good. it's always good when it's a surprise. Now that I've said that, tell our listeners what your movie is about. Um, well, the movie is about a uh, my character who prepaid a second honeymoon for a marriage he didn't know was failing. And uh, on the eve of surprising his wife, discovers she's been having a lengthy affair. And rather than confronting her, he calls his old best friend to take the trip with him um, and figure out what he's going to do. And along the way, you realize that their friendship had, had become a little strange, uh, uh, strained because uh, my character wasn't taking uh, responsibility for his own actions in the friendship. And you sort of get the, the, the portrait of, of my character um, making all these concessions because he believes that's what he's supposed to be doing. And so instead of pursuing his own passions, he's um, following a path that has been laid out for him by his parents, by society, by everything that he's read and everything that he's afraid of. Afraid is the word I was going to just use. He's afraid of confronting because it changes everything, right? Yeah. You give, you give Brecken's character the courage of his convictions, and when he speaks, there's a power to what he's saying to you, and he's unafraid to tell you exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. And sometimes it is, I think, painful for both characters to hear, but ultimately it's healing as the story goes on. Yeah, life is really complicated, and I had this... Um the, the, I had so many f friends of mine who'd been married young or had kids young and they're getting divorced or they're finding themselves at a point in their life where they're being reflective and uh, trying to figure out w what it is that got them to a place where they're not necessarily happy. And that was something I thought was worth talking about. Um, and I, I, I tried to do it by showing my character meeting several other characters who had solved that in their life through completely different means, both to demonstrate that, A, there's no right way to do it, um, and B, that it's never too late to start over. You got this idea when you were traveling to Thailand with a friend of yours, right? Yeah. And you started to write a script. How many drafts were there, or was it really clear to you? Well, uh, I'd had this trip with my friend Dan to Thailand in 2009, and along the way, everything that happened to us felt very cinematic, uh, both that we were mistaken as uh, uh, honeymooning uh, lovers in every one of these places that we went, and eventually we just stopped fighting because everyone was so invested <laughs> in our relationship, giving us, you know, um, uh, tropical drinks with two straws in it or uh, covering <laughs> our beds with rose petals or going out of their way to make some kind of beautiful dinner or just complimenting us on the validity of our love. And we, we thought we kind of owe it to these people to <laughs> at least put on a good show. But each of the things that we do in the movie are not only things that I did in real life with my real friend, but they're things that an audience can go and do for themselves. If anything, we've, we've laid out a, uh, a, a, a very effective travelogue. Um, but that, that was all it was. When I was there, it, Thailand is so beautiful. These places that we were in were or organically like a movie. And so I thought if I could just construct a story that's, that's meaningful, but, but also simple and just about life and friendship and relationships and choices, um, that, that that would be the best use of all of these backgrounds. Has Dan seen the movie? Yes. And? Uh, Dan came out to, uh, to Thailand to shoot with us, and he actually cameos in the film. Oh, nice. Yeah. In the very beginning, when uh, Brecken and I walk into the hotel for the first time, uh, you see real Dan uh, leaving the desk, and he and fake Dan uh, brush shoulders, <laughs> in a way sort of handing off you know, from the experience that he and I had in real life to the experience that's happening in the movie. What I like hearing from you right now, Seth, is 
there is real happiness involved with this movie that you've yeah. made. Yeah. And it's a you you've accomplished a whole lot in your career and now this is something else. I know you feel that this is an accomplishment. Uh definitely, but I didn't but what's strange about it is I didn't set out to make this an accomplishment. This isn't like me loudly declaring that I'm a director. It was more um I was inspired to tell this story, and I knew that there was a finite amount of money that we could get for it, uh, that there's only a certain way to make it. Um, and to that end, it was easier for me to do all of these jobs. I felt like that was the only way I was going to get the, the opportunity to, to tell this story. But, I, it, but it comes from a very joyful place. I was really inspired, and I, felt, I feel like I've been so lucky in my life. Um, and that was the kind of story I wanted. I wanted to tell something positive you know i want to tell a positive story about a non-toxic male friendship and um <laughs> uh, tell a story about a character in crisis who uh you know he's not gonna get all the answers but he's he's able to step outside of himself and observe what he's been doing and how each of his decisions have affected his own happiness and you do play that all out so just we know how to feel when this movie ends and i won't give anything away but when i say accomplishment I wouldn't use that word if I didn't think the movie was good. Oh, like I think you've made a good movie, and and I think that you will probably make more of them now. I hope so. It definitely is a proof of concept for gathering a bunch of friends and making something that we all have a good time uh, while working. Who would be on your list, perhaps friends that you would love to cast in another movie? Not even knowing what it might be about, but someone you know you could call to say, "Hey, do you would you like to?" Do you have six days to... Uh, that's tough. I've been uh, thinking about a movie that's kind of an action comedy, and it would be full of cameos, and I've got a long list of people that I'd love to recruit for that. But I'll, I'll probably wait until I've got it more written, just so um, I can come to someone with an actually uh, I interesting uh, prospect instead of just putting them on the hook for something later. Was there a director in your life say like a Kevin Smith type or something that knows how to do comedy very well that you called in to say, would you watch my movie and give me some tips to, in case I, I need to change anything? I did. When I had a, a, a very rough cut of the movie that was an hour 47, I sent it to a handful of uh, directors or producers or writers that I was familiar with whose work I admired that I had enough of a relationship to say, hey, if you've got a minute, uh, please give me some advice on this. And everyone was incredibly supportive. And even if they gave me the smallest uh, uh, point about it. Everyone was so generous and helpful. Uh, that's why the, the special thanks in the movie is so long. <laughs> but that's good. That That's because you've built up all these relationships over time. So well, I'm not arrogant enough to believe that I know everything. And, and in fact, I, I found myself at several points in the movie where I just thought any outside perspective is going to be helpful to me. I don't want this podcast to end without saying that I've been to a lot of places around the world. I have not been to Thailand, mm. but your movie makes me think I'm missing out on something. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty incredible there, and it's it's a massive country, so you could really explore it for weeks and, and not even see all of it. Uh, but it's so far away um, and feels uh, so unfamiliar that, that I found it a perfect place to be reflective, you know, where, where the, the chaos of our regular life is uh, abated even slightly, and you can just sort of feel yourself feel the water on your feet or or feel the air on your face and um take a minute 
just just relax. Take a minute. All right. So is the movie going to be only in theaters, or can we see it in these in this world? Yeah. Sometimes we can find it online somewhere. Yeah. One of the things that was most important to me was making the movie accessible to people. And while I designed it to be a, a, a theatrical experience, um, I, I recognize just my own habits, and especially the habits of the audience, is to to watch something uh, uh, in their home or. Uh, on their phone or tablet, and so um, that's really my best hope. The the movie is um, the same day in uh, ten cities in theaters, but it's also on cable on demand. So if you've got Cox or Spectrum or Comcast, the movie is going to be in your house on June seventh, um, and it's also available on iTunes. That that's really my 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 hope for this is that people will see something of themselves in it, see uh, one of their friendships in it, um, see. A relationship that they can relate to and and i hope that people take or at least i've allowed for people to take ownership of the movie and to that end i like the idea of people being able to keep it in their pocket you know there are people who uh, make movies and they come out in the summer and there are these tentpole films and all these franchises and sequels and it's hard but a lot of people want to sit at home and they have big screens that they've had a lot of money for yeah. that and surround sound. And so I get watching a movie at home. Once upon a time, I did an interview with Meryl Streep. She did a TV movie, and it was about some kind of a disease that somebody she worked with had or a daughter or son had or something. And I asked her about doing a TV movie, and she said, I'm doing this because this is the right audience for this. More people will see this than will see a movie that is only in theaters. And now it's not only in theaters anymore, but you have the option. So I I think this is a good thing for people who can't afford to, say, have a babysitter for four hours to go out sure. to dinner and a movie. And, yeah. and, and, and just the movie is a lot cheaper. <laughs> Make your own popcorn. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this uh, hits a, a younger audience as well. I, I watched a lot of films growing up that were about adults in crisis, and I found it not just relatable but super informative. Um, and my best hope for this is that people – treat it as a vacation you know so you you watch the movie and you get to take your own vacation that's nice all right is there anything in the future that i'll be talking to you about in three months again um well we're into our 10th season of robot chicken <laughs> um and by the end of it we'll have wow. produced our 200th episode that's so fantastic. i'm very excited about all of that it's kind of insane for us to be at that place. That's awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming in here today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. My pleasure. It's nice to s sit down and talk than stand on a red carpet yeah. for a minute. So yeah. Seth Green's new movie is Changeland. You'll find it in theaters beginning June 7th or everywhere online, right? Comcast, Cox, all of it. Spectrum. Yeah, it's accessible. iTunes, everywhere. Yeah. Oh, Our, and the soundtrack is uh, available on Spotify right now see? too. It's ever which which I diligently curated. All of the songs in the movie were specifically picked, um, wow. so that you could have that experience. I grew up loving movie soundtracks, and I consider that to be both a uh, a joint and a separate experience. That's a whole other conversation that I'm afraid to start, so we're going to maybe pick that up the next time you pop by off the red carpet. I'm George Pinocchio. Thanks to Seth Green for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, George.